Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. Now, how do you feel about having to follow such a, a hugely successful album? I know that it will be difficult, but I don't think that it's impossible. Um, with each album, we do like to grow. I know that I do like to grow, and better with each one. So hopefully it will be as successful. So you, you in there dancing, and I'm in here needing questions and... Janet Jackson had finally taken control. She had an album to her name that was actually representative of her as an artist and as a person. She had established herself as something more than Michael's little sister, and she had found love. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were in their prime, a prime that would span quite a significant period in pop music. Their work from the mid-80s to the end of the 90s is, to this day, unparalleled. But the three of them together are an unstoppable force. Despite having generated six number one singles off of one album, Janet didn't tour the Control project. She did, however, film a series of iconic music videos to accompany the single releases and a number of incredible live performances. probably genetic ability as a dancer would drastically steer the direction of her music. The sessions for Janet's next project, Rhythm Nation 1814, would primarily take place during a more than typical freezing Minneapolis winter in 1988. Although the title and concept for the album hadn't been conceived at that initial point, the creative efforts of everyone involved would ensure something special. record some other tracks that you thought you'd be able to use for this album and then didn't like them. Was that discouraging? No, no, no. Actually, I loved them. Um, I recorded 18 songs all in all, but I wanted to choose the best songs to go on the album, so I just saved the rest. Um, some of them have been B-sides, and, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'll use them for the next album, but uh, I was really happy with what turned out with this album. Despite the success with Jam and Lewis a couple of years earlier, 
Jackson would experiment with other producers, seemingly for a similar sound. Brian Loren had just completed some projects with the likes of Barry White and Marlon Jackson. Not much is known about the sessions between him and Janet, except that they co-wrote this song, titled Work. sessions would not produce any material for the upcoming album, as would be the case when he would work on Michael Jackson's Dangerous album just a year later. When Michael and Brian discussed the short-lived collaboration with Janet, Michael would claim that he was the one who actually wrote work. This claim for credit seems unlikely given Janet's resistance to collaborate with her brother at the time, as well as her own songwriting skills having developed enough to accommodate her own visions. Obviously, the quality that Janet was looking for had already been established with Jam and Lewis, which led many to question why she appealed to other producers in the first place. She did go in the studio and make some records with some other folks. There was a few bumps in the road between Control and, and Rhythm Nation for sure, but Clarence Avon solved that problem. It was one of those interesting things where, you know, Janet heard we were saying something about her and whatever, and we heard she was saying something about us and whatever. And she finally called me and she said, Jimmy, do you want to do the record? And I said, yeah. You want us to do the record? She said, yeah. And I said, okay, fine. And I called Clarence and I just said, Clarence, I said, uh, we want to do the record, so let's, can we get this done? And Clarence called up uh, Jerry Moss and uh, said, Jerry, give him a million dollars and let's go. And we were literally in the studio making Miss You Much, which was the first song we recorded on the, on the Rhythm Nation album, like in the next week. On a cold Minneapolis day, Miss Janet enters the Flight Time studio to hear Jimmy Jam mixing a rhythm track. Still faced towards the mixing desk, Jam indicates a note on the keyboard close by for her to press. Although hesitant, she does so. Okay, see this. This marks the beginning of Rhythm Nation 1814. inspired by a breakup letter written to Jimmy from a former girlfriend in which the title phrase was used. The rest of the song is the antithesis, more so a letter of love and attachment suiting its poppy instrumental. 
Most of these early sessions would begin with songs penned primarily by Jam and Lewis. They would have Jackson just record the backup vocals as warm-ups, as she hadn't sung in a couple of years. A significant change in the recording process for Rhythm Nation compared to the Control album was the rapidly evolving technology in music, which would be enthusiastically utilised by Jam and Lewis. The MU-SP1200 drum machine would be a dominant feature on the album and throughout hip-hop of the 80s and 90s. Jimmy Jam would create his signature sounds during this period on several keyboards. For the creation of the bass alone, we have two different synthesizers. Here's the Yamaha DX7. And now overdubbed, an Oberheim OB8. Other instruments on the track would be created using these keyboards as well, such as synthesized guitars and streamlines to fill out the mix. Somebody's getting paid a bunch of money to put really great sounds in this. I shouldn't have to tweak it. I should go through the presets, and when I go through the presets and I don't come up with a song idea, that keyboard's going back. Although while the drums are spread across 13 tracks and the vocals across 11, these instruments only take up seven stems on the multi-track. This song, and many others on the album, sound more melodic than their makeup suggests, as a result of Steve Hodge's masterful mixing. Steve Hodge mixed it. So Steve Hodge made it sound the best it could sound. Now that the Flight Time Studios had a 48-track multi-track machine, it was more convenient to record not only more instruments, but more vocals. On many of the multi-tracks for the Rhythm Nation 1814 album, a significant portion would be occupied with just vocal tracks. Miss You Much is a perfect example. On the verses, Janet's lead vocal is accompanied by two hard-panned lower vocals, creating a multi-layered effect on the final track. I'm rushing home Just as soon as I can I'm rushing home to see your smiling face And feel your warm embrace It makes me feel so good So I'll tell you and would become the first single release generated from Rhythm Nation 1814. It would go to number one on several charts around the world and become a staple in Jackson's discography.
Next on the roster of vocal strengthening exercises would be the similar themed Love Will Never Do Without You. The song was initially intended as a duet, with Jam postulating Prince as a potential singing partner. The unlikelihood of this idea coming to fruition proved itself, but the concept did give birth to the track's distinctive vocal performance. Verse 1 is sung in a lower key, representing that of a male. Our friends think we're opposites Are falling in and out of love They all said we never last Still we manage to stay together there's no easy explanation for this But whenever there's a problem We always work it out somehow Work it out somehow They said it wouldn't last We had to move along Cause I've learned in the past The vocal performance on verse 2 returns Janet to a more comfortable range. Much like Miss You Much, the background vocals would be recorded first to strengthen her voice. Like many tracks on the album, Love Will Never Do often features two sets of background vocals running at the same time. Missing from the released version is Terry Lewis's incredible bass performance. Hearing it is a reminder that non-synthesized instruments wouldn't have been out of place. Now you've been working with Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam. Mm -hmm. what, what's that like? They are two of the most craziest guys in the studio. They, they're such characters, they're so funny, and they're two of my favorite guys. We had so much fun in the studio. They're perfectionists in the studio, but yet they know how to have fun with it so that it won't be so stiff and boring.
the most rousing moments on the track is towards the end, where Janet's vocal seamlessly transitions into what has been credited as a short horn solo by Herb Alpert. That horn is actually a synthesizer, and her vocal is far more impressive and lasts much longer than the album version would have you believe. They said it wouldn't last, we had to prove them wrong. Cause I learned in the past that love would never do without you. We had to prove them wrong. Cause I learned in the past that love would never do without you. Despite it being just as worthy of an individual release as its predecessor, it would end up being the seventh single from the album, continuing the consistent stream of number ones up to that point. On January 17, 1989, a man entered Cleveland Elementary School and fired his gun. He killed six children and wounded 31 others before turning the gun on himself. We had been watching just all kinds of just craziness in the world and, and, and school shootings and just all kinds of stuff and we just felt like we got to do a song that, that addresses that that it's not the kids fault in the world that we've built as adults for the kids right children are called the future People have told me that I am a role model for a lot of children and I wanted to do something good with that, something positive. Janet kept saying, we need Terry, we need Terry. And I said, yeah, we do. So Terry shows up at the studio at the old flight time where we're recording. And he says, well, what's the concept? And I said, okay, so these kids got killed at this school. You know, it's not their fault. You know, it's the adults' fault. You know, it's our mistakes, man. It's us messing up, right? The adults are messing it up for the kids. And it's like, you know, something, something, something. And I go into this hole and me and Janet are telling them this whole thing. And Terry just goes, living in a world they didn't make. And we're like, yeah. Terry goes, 10 minutes later, has the lyrics, hands us the lyrics. There you go. And that was it. That song is obviously as relevant today as it was when we did it. 
what's going on in the world right now. That to me is the gift that he has for lyrics. This would be a pivotal point in the album's production, moving from the more light-hearted material to what it became defined as, a social commentary presented through dance music. A strange combination, but an effective one. In the 30 years since this song was conceived, there have been over 300 other school shootings carried out in the United States. going to get over all of these obstacles is, is through the children. I feel that the, the elders are already set in their ways. You can't teach them what they already feel deeply inside that they know is right, even though they, they might be wrong. I feel we have to start with the children because the children are so innocent. They don't know the difference. There shouldn't be any difference. Living in a World They Didn't Make is an analysis of the social hereditary of violence. Saddened by the fact that the song was written 30 years ago and its inspiration, its content, and its lack of action is still a significant problem. Unlike many of the songs that address such issues, the lyrics don't call for gun control or environmental change. They just acknowledge the sad state of the world. With this new inspiration for content, Janet, Jam and Lewis began a run of songs that addressed their concerns of racism, poverty and education. Although arguably the least well received of the collection, State of the World narrates two stories of hardship. is a compliment to the rest of the album. The peak for the genre, New Jack Swing, was on the horizon, and Jam and Lewis are often not credited for its innovation. Tracks like this are examples of what producers would later draw inspiration from. In April 1991, 
State of the World would be the final single released from Rhythm Nation 1814. The Japanese single would exclusively contain a plethora of remixes by Shep Pettibone, who also provided remixes for most other singles by Jenna at the time, as well as hot new producer Junior Vasquez. Pettibone's mix is arguably in line with what he was producing for Madonna's next album, Erotica. A prominent synth bass, airy organ synth, and an irresistible house beat. The Vasquez mix isn't too dissimilar, amping up the funk and even incorporating some vocal samples from the album's title track. As much quality as is contained in these mixes, the single would make little impact, less so compared to a non-single track that would follow on the album. stretch of socially conscious tracks that would be tied together on the final configuration, the knowledge wouldn't be one where its sourced title matched its content. While Jam and Lewis were travelling in London a couple of years earlier, they were amazed at the cab driver's sense of direction. Asking how he could retain such information, he simply responded with the knowledge. build around that discovered idiom to a more profound concept, fitting in with the many philanthropic adjurations on the album. Knowledge is undoubtedly the most percussion-driven track on the album, with the drum machine and effects making up the vast majority of the composition. No. Illiteracy. No. 
It's also important to note that this version features a scratch bass line that is not present on the album. It also has some presumably scrapped ideas, like James Brown vocal samples peppered throughout. in the Rhythm Nation short film, performed on several tours, and even received a remix with the binaural audio fad Q sound in the mid-90s. Its heavy use of samples lends itself to an immersive mix, whatever the version. Janet Jackson arguably has one of the sexiest discographies held by a single artist. So many of her ballads are a perfect blend of sexuality, sensuality, and often uncomfortable honesty. But at this point, there was still a fairly new course for her to take. The previous album, Control, concluded with two ballads. The first being Let's Wait A While, a song about abstinence and waiting for the right moment to consummate a relationship. Wait a while. Now, it was a sort of a song that was about not rushing into a relationship, and I'm just kind of wondering, have you ever had any relationships that you think you rushed into kind of too quickly? Actually, <laughs> actually, it's not, not about rushing into relationships. It's about a guy and a girl that, that, that uh, they do have a relationship that they are happy with, but they don't want to rush into a physical relationship. So it's about that, and uh, as far as uh, rushing into any physical relationships, no. Je ne 
The final, Funny How Time Flies When You're Having Fun, is a sparse, click-track-driven sensual number, ending with a montage of lyrical reaffirmations in French and less-than-ambiguous moans, a slight turn from the track that preceded it. heard that your mother was a bit surprised by your performance in Nasty, and I'm wondering, what did she really have to say to you about well, this? Well, actually, it, it wasn't Nasty, it was um, Funny How Time Flies, because by me being the, the baby of the family, she really couldn't get into the moaning. Fun at the <laughs> Found you growing up. Yeah. I see. It was sort of difficult for her. I see. song for what would become the Rhythm Nation 1814 album is a lyrical continuation of Let's Wait A While and a styled instrumental progression of Funny How Time Flies. Someday As Tonight would be intended as the eighth single from Rhythm Nation 1814. That proposition would later favour State of the World as the final single release. Although some later printed copies of the album do feature a sticker listing all of the singles up to that point, including Someday As Tonight. Alpert closes out the song with a searing trumpet solo, accompanied by Janet's incredible multi-layered, choir-like vocals. come up to me and he goes, oh, what are you doing? She told her kids to have sex. And he said, what happened to let's wait a while? And I said to him, look at how long do you want me to wait? 
experiences. So that, that's, they got a glimpse of it with the Funny How Time Flies, just a little bit, that sensual side, which was the control app. Then again with the Some Days Tonight on Rhythm Nation. The album would close out with three ballads, all revolving around various expressions of love. Opening the string of slower numbers, Lonely is a reaffirmation of our social needs. who penned the lyrics would later reflect on the track, remarking, Nobody should feel like they're alone. That's probably one of the most feared feelings in the world, which causes a lot of hate and a lot of crime. Everyone on Earth has the same basic needs, and the biggest of these to be loved and appreciated. Terry's remark about individual loneliness being a root cause to many societal issues is quite a profound assessment even by today's standards. Ideology is a problem, radicalization is a problem, but so is not feeling valued. socially conscious themes of the album, and perhaps there's more to discover. The song opens with Janet speaking in Spanish, exclaiming, we all need a friend in solitude. The track concludes with, a lonely person is a very sad person. I love you so. something, Terry's really good at taking something and making it into, you know, like shortening it and editing it and making it into something very concise.
nestled between the two spectacular ballads of the album is yet another highlight. While Jam and Lewis would famously utilise modern instruments like the LM Lin drum and a series of keyboards, they still found it necessary to incorporate acoustic elements in the mix. For Come Back To Me, they called upon O. Nicholas Raths to contribute what he later described as classy nuance to the instrumental. Looking through my old drawer, I came across a letter further. The result was Lee Blask, who was giving no specific instruction aside from add strings. Lord knows that I of a range had to compete with their emotive abilities. It's hard to imagine how anyone who is capable of conveying such emotion through their voice could be so insecure about it. Her abilities were perfect to lay in the bed that Jam and Lewis had made. 
You have another number one song. Come back to me. Yeah. Number one. Congratulations Thank again. You. Seems like we say congratulations to you every seven or eight weeks. You know, another song is <laughs> gone number one. This is your fourth number one. Come Back to Me would become yet another staple in the Janet Jackson discography. It takes a special chemistry between a group of collaborators for a quiet storm track to stand out on an album dominated by political messages and early New Jack swing. Opening side B, All Right presets the tone of the album to a more joyous vibe, building around a now well-used sample of Lynn Collins' James Brown-produced song, Think About It. From there, various overdubs of different drum tracks were added to accentuate the rhythm further. Tracks of keyboards would fill in the instrumental, removing the song further from something that is reliant on its sample. Synth stabs would be present throughout, giving it a more distinct sound. These are affectionately labelled on the multi-track as OV8 farts. Baseline is also a prominent feature, although not played by Terry. His contributions would be in the background vocals. Together with Janet's, the fusion creates a pleasurable sensory effect to go along with her more repressed lead. Rappers featuring in pop music was still a rather new concept, in that it was yet to be overused or done as a way of cross-promotion. 
For Alright's remixes, Heavy D, fresh off of the release of his big time album, was asked to feature. Whatever happens, whatever may come, whatever may be, it's cool. I got it covered, beloved, from A to Z. I'm the overweight lover, heavy, but little ED. And you can put on a trip, but it's so right with me. The things were meant to be the B and B men. And what I'm here to represent is excellence. If you need any help, open your eyes and it's Heavy D. Jimmy Jam filling in a multitude of synth displays. This is a prime example of the funk subdued in their entire shared catalogue. Janet is a Jackson, and Jimmy and Terry are members of the time. Funk isn't just an added flavor, it's an essential ingredient. Alright would be a major success. It was the fourth consecutive number one single from the album on the Billboard Dance Club Songs chart and earned two Grammy nominations for Best R&B Song and Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. blend of, of elements there. I mean, the James Brown sample, which, you know, it has James Brown, anything that James Brown is in makes it a better record to me. I mean, he, he's such an amazing thing. So to take a funky James Brown sample, make it into an actual song with chord changes and bridges and B sections and all that was a challenge, but I think one that we, we did. Janet wasn't just bringing lyrics, Jimmy wasn't just bringing sounds, and Terry wasn't just recording vocals.
One morning, as Jackson was preparing to go to the studio, she began fortuitously humming a melody that she would later present to Jam and Lewis. They saw potential in the idea, but with the album's deadline nearing, they appealed to the assistance of fellow Time member Jellybean Johnson. So we, she brought me this riff, she, it was on a piano. The Black Cat riff was on the piano that she brought me, and I heard it and I said, okay. So then I, I got a good friend of mine, his name is Dave Barry. He ended up being our guitar player for years. I brought him into the studio, and I rented a Marshall, and we cut the riff. sound as, as heavy as possible and it turned out and then me and Janet got together she got the lyrics together and and we laid it down a rock song on the album. I actually finished with the entire album and I came up with a, a guitar riff and I, I ran over to Jimmy and Terry to tell them and said, you know, we should do this. And they were busy mixing other stuff that we had just completed. So they said, oh God, you know, we had a deadline so we, we couldn't possibly go on to another song. So I told them, I said, well, it's okay. I said, you know, I'll do it. And I said, just throw me in the studio and, and, and I'll you know, put everything together. And so I did, along with Jellybean, and I wrote the riff and the lyrics and actually the whole thing. And uh, that was basically it. Jam and Lewis's contributions weren't completely absent, with Terry playing bass and some keyboards on the song. I knew it was kind of different for her because, you know, she's R&B. So I had to make her, I wanted to, I'd say, I want you to sound like a rock goddess. And that's what we did. just be resigned to its epic album version, it would receive a remix, reducing the reverberation using different drums, giving it a harder sound.
There's so many different versions in this one with Vernon Reed from Living Color. He's shredding through it. Vernon Reed. It's all kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it, it, people had a lot of fun with that song after it was done, you know. doubt of Janet's potential as a rock goddess with the original, Reed's remix is certainly a reaffirmation of her talents. Vernon re-recorded the guitars and provides a blistering solo, which like Janet's vocal was accomplished in just two takes. Neither of the three rock mixes were enough, bringing out the Minneapolis funk, this version wouldn't have been out of place on the album itself. If you look at Black Cat, there's a ton of different versions now. So there's one where me and Jesse Johnson is a funky one. Janet writes, the thing that stands out to me is that it's always heartfelt. She is so in it that it just it becomes infectious. So I love when we do records together because we just bounce stuff back and forth. And that's always a, a great foundation for me because I, I hate to write for anyone in a vacuum. I have to be around them. It's, that's where the inspiration comes from, that energy. And uh, we have such great exchanges. So I, I really love that part about writing with Janet. 
continuing a string of light-hearted pop classics, with Jimmy working on an instrumental in one room and Janet working on lyrics in another, Escapade is the oral personification of fun. idea of Escapade was that we wanted a song, Janet wanted a song that you would hear like at a basketball game or a sporting event, like a really up-tempo record that everybody would want to sing along with. So that was the kind of the seed of the idea. Technically, I used, it was a SP-1200 drum machine, and it was just a stock sound that came with the machine. We actually had never had used the SP-1200, but we have broken up. We had it, but we hadn't used it, and we used it for Miss You Much, the same drums as Miss You Much, and the same drums as Love Will Never Do. good at playing with both hands, playing a bass part with my left hand while doing chords with my right hand. The record was basically done with me playing like that, with the drum beat. And that was it. intention was to always go back and redo it but with Janet the thing we always did was we always would let her sing and then we'd fill the track in around her vocal we'd always get it to a point where we'd say is it good enough to sing and she'd say yes then we put her vocal on we never went back and changed that track number one. It is undoubtedly one of the most recognizable and influential songs in Jackson's catalogue, 
and its themes of carefree fun remain universal and unaffected by time. Going into making the album, it's it's saying it's okay to have fun. It's okay to dance and, and just go ahead and have fun, but don't forget what's going on in the rest of the world around you. I know we can't change the world single-handedly, but if for those who are on, on the fence, on that borderline, not knowing which way to turn, by listening to what I have to say, maybe I can lead them in a positive direction. Five, four, three, two, one. The title track Rhythm Nation is a dense layering of samples, percussion and vocals. With minimum melody added beyond its sample of Sly and the Family Stones, thank you for letting me be myself again. The break of the song is this guitar riff. And I just said, that's it! I knew that was the riff, and I went straight to the studio, looped that guitar riff, and then started building it from there, putting the drums, putting the keyboards and all that stuff over. is better described as noise, adding to the mechanical ambience of the instrumental. Making the, the song with a nation you know, it was wishful thinking, so that it would be so neat if this could become a national anthem for dancers. Come to find out that uh, Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem of the United States in 1814. And we said, oh my God, you know, that, was, that we thought was really neat because of what we had said. And we said, well, we should put it on the album, you know, 1814, since it has some type of significance. And then after that, we found out that the 18th letter in the alphabet is all the 14th Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814 would be released on the 19th of September 1989. It would top the charts in a multitude of countries around the world, along with seven of its eight singles across three years.
It would provide the soundtrack to a series of revolutionary music videos, including a 30-minute short film. Janet would tour behind the album, achieving the most successful debut tour by any artist at the time. The album's mix of socially conscious themes, ballads, and more contemporary dance songs meant that the messages Janet, Jam, and Lewis were trying to convey were more accessible. Messages that got across to several generations of people yearning for someone to articulate what they were feeling. Thirty years later, that nation, despite many attempts at bringing it down, is still under construction. And this is their anthem. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.